Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am one of the hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. And I am the second of two hosts, Caleb. That is true. You are the second of two. There are no more. Shively. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it works. It sounds really cool. Oh, People like that. That's cool. Our audience is uh, also laughing with us. That's cool. Or uh, at us. Or who cares? Whatever. Yeah. You know, I'll take it either way. Um, yeah, me too. Every episode on Actually Best Choice Movies, we talk to you about two movies. One of them is old. One of them is new. And they're related like, you know, folklore of humanity is related to all of us. Would you say, Caleb? I I would definitely say this. Uh, We say they're good movies because, you know, there's a lot of film out there and they're all great. There's no such thing as a bad movie. Never have a bad movie. Yeah, it's not true. I'm being facetious, but we did have some good stuff. Uh, the new movie from uh, David Lowry, who I quite enjoy, is out right now. We're talking about The Green Knight, and that leads itself to so much uh, Arthurian legend-type things, which turns out there aren't that many good films in. But we did find one called Excalibur, which uh, is good. Mm. Good enough. Yeah. Works, works well. It's works well for this. Interesting to talk about. Um, yes. Yeah, that's all this week on Actually Best Choice. Movies. Um, so before we get to any of that, I mean, we are just going to talk for a minute about like adaptations of Arthurian legend, you know, folklore and cinema. Um, but yeah, you a minute ago. So Caleb, you just said like, it turns out there's not that many good movies based no. on King Arthur and, and that kind of stuff. Caleb and I did spend days racking our own brains, asking our friends and loved ones, like name a good movie that has knights and armor in it. That isn't like a cheesy something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Or, or wasn't uh, the sword and the stone, which is the one that right. the, we all the sword and the stone it's a and movie that we liked because it had dragons and cool stuff and songs. Yeah. And uh, I always liked when he turned into a squirrel in that movie. I thought, that oh, part yeah, was that was cool. That part was dope. Uh, and the fish part, too. The fish part. And, and the, the, the ending fight was also when cool. Merlin comes back from like the future and he's wearing Bermuda shorts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's pretty <laughs> fun. Um, but yeah, I would say like that, what like that movie is from the sixties. Uh, so like there's, I don't know, like in our lifetime, a Knight's uh, tale, I guess is the uh, other one. Everybody yeah, mentions. Yeah. Uh, f- f- yeah. A Knight's tale, which I don't think is Arthurian, but who cares? It's a nice, so that makes sense. Right? Uh, and then apparently like I, I had no idea there's, uh, one from 2004 with Clive Owen, directed by Antoine Fuqua, King Arthur movie, uh, which like, oh, I didn't know that existed. And then I was, also saw there was one from just 2017 with uh, directed by Guy yes, Ritchie. Guy I Ritchie. Know Guy Ritchie yes. made a King Arthur movie. Dude, so I have only seen part of this recently. Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie. It is completely wild. There is a scene where somebody is firing arrows, like literally like a machine gun, like so fast. And the King Arthur is fighting. It's Charlie Hunnam, I think, is King Arthur. Yes, Charlie Hunnam, yeah. So you know he is not there to act. He's there to like do action. So like, there's Kill there's the a guys. point where all the knights he's fighting are basically guys in black armor because it's just like easier to CGI them. Oh, <laughs> and he's sure. having these crazy CGI fights with these like black knights. And it's like it's really nuts. It's not it's not good at all. 
And yeah, then actually uh, one of my favorite ones, if I can just say, was sure, it's sure, from sure. I think it's from 1998, maybe with Richard Gere and Sean Connery called First Night, where it's all about one of the many stories that is in Excalibur, which is um, Lancelot and Marion's romance and like betraying King Arthur um, starring. Yeah. And I, I used to see that movie all the time because it was on HBO when I was in high school and I have watched it maybe a thousand times, but I didn't really want to do it for this show because I don't think that it's like a good movie, you know? Yeah. It's something I enjoyed um, as a kid. Yeah. I like Julia Armand who's in it, but yeah, uh, my favorite one, I think everyone's in the one that I obviously did not want to do because it's too sacred is uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right. It's just uh, too, you know? Yeah. It takes all, uh, it's actually a really good movie in the sense that it does take all these like the conventional trappings of this medieval epic genre and then just bludgeons it with a hammer by being very funny and uh, ridiculous and silly and i love it it's just such a Uh, weird cultural touchstone right like it really um, is it's just like kids watch that movie i I first saw it when i was like in fifth grade when i was a young kid this was one of the like family bonding things was that all of us enjoyed monty python and the holy grail and we would all watch Mm -hmm. it together and then we would like quote it to each other and then (laughs) you know this is like before the internet right and so finding somebody else that liked the things you liked was meaningful and have them like know something about it was astounding and so yeah i spent a bunch of my childhood like talking to other little kids and be like have you seen this movie and then we would do the lines from the movie you know it's very line heavy yeah and there's so much things in it that you could point to and love and uh it's become so big that people don't watch the show or know they have other movies because like oh yeah the the holy grail guys and like yeah there's a ton of stuff there there's like i kind of get frustrated with people being like like oh you like uh like they will reference that as the only thing Monty Python does, like, no, come on. Is that whole, true? Do you know show. people that talk like that? Oh, uh, I'm, uh, I do. I don't want to call them out. You don't want to call them out, Gary, because you're married <laughs> to them. So that would be rude. Um, exactly true. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, well, another, so beyond this, this kind of curious thing that sure, as sure, much as yeah. it's a part of our culture, there actually are not like any identifiable. I mean, even for all of film history, is there a surviving really good Knights movie. I mean, maybe you could say some adaptations of like Richard the Third or Henry the Fifth yeah. are like good Knights movies. Um, but there's really not. They tend to be these kind of dumb popcorn movies. I mean, one we could have done that is similar, but I didn't want to do because I did it on my other show was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Sure. Because that is, I mean... And this kind of gets me to another interesting thing to to talk about, which is, and this is a really, I think, really relevant for the Green Knight. Um, it's 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 just so interesting to think of these how truly old these stories are. It's really astounding. Like, I mean, the King Arthur legend is supposed to be from like the 1350s, 1370s, and Robin Hood is supposed to be from around like 1400 or so, like around there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is absolutely crazy that this story of King Arthur is like literally 800 years old and it's used to be like one of the most important stories everybody knew and because there weren't just really that many stories you know what I mean and that somehow it's survived and it's a part of our our unconscious and our cultural lexicon like to this day and I mean of course Mm -hmm. I know stuff from ancient Greece and ancient Rome is still around too but it's just it's just remarkable to me that something like like this it's not you know it's not a comic book like it wasn't made up in the 40s like it's from like the 1340s you know it's based off of a a poem yeah it's like I don't know it's uh big themes of these movies is honor and chivalry via means of magic and also Christianity, I guess, which maybe explains why they hold up because it's they're all pursuing this righteous thing. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's like, how seriously do we take 
these hundreds of year old stories too, which is like, there should be some adherence and reverence for the source material. Sure. Uh, but there's deaf room to indulge on actually how weird these stories yeah, are right. and, uh, how violent night stories can be. And, uh, I don't know. I think we picked two ones that do that enough. Uh, and it's also, you know, uh, this one is from obviously 2021 green night. And then, uh, the other ones from the early eighties. Uh, so it's like a check-in on the uh, filmmaking of the times. It's like, I mean, uh, a lot of like the other movies we were looking at are like from like the, uh, early like forties uh, and fifties, which didn't have cool budgets to do cool things. <laughs> so it's also like, Oh, let's, uh, how films are made. It's probably like, a, you could probably do a nice film history by just checking in on each era's, uh, big night movie. <laughs> I mean, even like we mentioned, there's like a Guy Ritchie when there's like that uh, small era of like a big over the top. Yeah, true. Making one. Yeah, it's just a very much like a time capsule of that that moment in filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. Yeah. And what you were saying about the um, room to kind of embellish on the the films. I mean, that's obviously a big yeah, deal in, in The Green Knight. Or they embellish yeah. on the stories. But I mean, it is interesting, too, to think about the the roles these stories used to serve in society and, and why they've survived so long. I mean, one of the, I was looking, doing a lot of research on Robin hood and like one of the interesting things is like, there used to be these big, they would have these big fairs at the church and they would be like, they would be like Robin hood. It would be like Robin hood day at the church and people would like dress up like Robin hood and they would have like Robin hood plays and they would have little contests you could do. And it would be to like raise money for the church and then, so that is like one of the main reasons that Robin Hood is still a story we know is that that was like, it was, that was what people would do for like a hundred years, you know? Um, and it's interesting to think like, well, you know, Robin Hood really at the end of the day, he is, as, it's interesting that he's an, an outlaw and a rebel, but what he's doing is reinforcing like the rules of chivalry, the rules of proper conduct. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is a Robin Hood story, but like a story about how you ought to behave. And it's like Robin Hood is going to make you do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, so they are, in a, and that's a, a, the original version of the Green Knight, maybe not so much this film version. That was the point of it basically was to say like, here are the rules for how to act and here is how you have to act. Um, and so when we get to present day versions of them, I think it's all pretty interesting to, you know, reinterpret those ideals by modern standards. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of now, even when we referenced the sword and stone, now I'm trying to think of when Robin Hood was made in oh. to, uh, I think it was after, which is just a dumb thing that I'm thinking about right now, just because you mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm looking right now. It's 10 years after sword and the stone was Robin Hood. Which which uh, one? Which version? The also the the Fox Disney one. I was oh yeah, the Fox <laughs> Disney one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Prince of Thieves, <laughs> obviously. Nineteen ninety one, and then there was a Russell Crowe Robin Hood again from just a few years ago. Oh yeah, they they keep coming up. I think there's even more recent one that I don't know. That's but I'll reference. I like a uh, Mel Brooks's silly one. Dave Chappelle's in that one. Oh yeah, Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, Carrie Elway's. He's, he's, you know. Oh yeah, very good. Great stuff. Um, but it is very interesting. What crazy legends. And I mean, again, I know I keep talking about the Green Knight already, but like, it's so interesting to think about these stories and to just think this is such a stonery thing to say, but like people in the Middle Ages were real people and they were real people and they lived regular lives and they lived and died. And as far as the, and this was the stuff that they thought about. And it's really interesting to be connected with them in, in some way via something like this. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So our first movie this week is from this year, 2021. It's directed by whom, Caleb? David Lowry. David Lowry. It's uh, the Green Knight. Oh, greatest of kings. Let one of your knights 
try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will meet thee. Based on the 14th century poem by Anonymous, David Lowry's Gre The Green Knight was set to premiere at the 2020 South by Southwest Film Festival. However, the 2020 South by Southwest Film Festival was canceled. Uh, Lowry, who was displeased with the film at the time, then used this opportunity re to recut his entire film, and it turned into something he was much more proud of, saying, quote, I found the affection I needed to cut it with love in my heart instead of disappointment and hate. Uh, the wow, that's film. very real. If I can just say that's very real. I totally get what he means. Uh, the resulting film is an often unsettling and visual stunning episodic hero's journey starring the, his career is sure is growing on me, Dave, Dev Patel. Yeah. Uh, Lowry, an art house auteur with some absolute bangers under his belt already, keeps it close enough to the poem in the plot sense, but also in the artistic sense, allowing room for interpretation and fantasy. The biggest example being the Green Knight himself being a towering tree man with a magical growth axe that is more scary than I'm actually describing. Uh, the aforementioned plot itself involves the Green Knight playing a game of cut off my head and the next year, quote, I will return the same blow which we will discuss. So Chris, let's discuss. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, like you said, it's a beautiful movie. It's very scary. Um, <laughs> it's just atmospheric. It's full of dread. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't even, I honestly don't know where to start. Cause there's so much to say. I mean, one of the things I would like to say right at the top to make sure I get it in is like, so the green Knight. you know, it's based on Sir Gawain and the green Knight. this poem by anonymous from like 13, whatever, whatever, 1350, 1375. Um, it it is it is a medieval it's a chivalric romance and the point of it of the poem is it's about again Sir Gawain is the ultimate exemplar of chivalric behavior and the movie has the poem has all this weird medieval numerology in it like for the number five you know it's like he wears this pentangle which is this kind of a pentagram but it's made out of two um triangles and it's like the five points of the pentangle represent his Sir Gawain's five senses and his five chivalric values and his five fingers and, you know, blah, 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 on and on and on. But in every situation, he reacts in the most pure and chaste and appropriate way possible. And right from the beginning, we wake up with Dev Patel in a whorehouse. And so, like, this whorehouse is not Christmas. This, yeah, exactly. He is born. But so, like, it's a, it's it's taking this story but it's putting in someone who is not an exemplar of proper behavior, who doesn't really seem to ever know what to do and is often has the instinct to do something that seems kind of crazy and stupid. Um, so that's very, very interesting. And it, and it and it has more effects on the plot as it goes forward. Sure, sure does. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, it made me, I didn't know any of this going into it. I looked it all up afterwards because it made me really curious how close it was to the poem watching the film. Did, did, did you feel this way, Caleb? Uh, somewhat, uh, but, uh, I guess because he was a squire and I, uh, yeah, I did look at some stuff up too. Uh, but yeah, like right off the bat, like, uh, it's a, like a poem that is about like these chivalrous men. That's all like, look at this knight. He does a quest, but so we get right off the bat, we get more coloring in on Gowan and he is like a young squire who drinks and is immature and his 
non-committal to a woman, uh, very much young man stuff. Like that's yeah, all sure. the, that's everyone's 20s. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is definitely, that helps it a lot too. Cause it even makes you maybe think like, Oh, is the green in green Knight referring to him being green as being untested and young. There is so actually a really, Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. And they do have a great discussion later on in the movie about what the green of the green knight might represent. And it actually, I was reading like the Wikipedia page for the green knight. And it was like, those are literally the different like scholarly articles about the green knight, all the different theories. They're like, well, it's the color of the earth, but it's also the color of decay. So yeah, I guess it is like a plot about him becoming more into his manhood, like him accepting this choice. Like like, uh, I kind of poo pooed over the plot a little bit, but the green knight comes in and then this is like, Hey, yo, uh, I'm going to play this game. Uh, you can strike a blow, uh, and then one year from now, I get to return the blow. Uh, so Yeah, whether uh, it be a nick on my arm or yeah. you know, a sword through my heart, you know. I'll... So, like, it comes out, uh, which we'll talk about this cool green knight in a second, uh, comes out and wanting to prove himself to King Arthur, uh, Gawain is like, I got this, and then chops off his head, and was like, yeah, I did it, and then dude just gets up, picks up his head, laughs, <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Uh, and then, like, and then that movie is basically his journey a year later to go get his head chopped off. Yeah, <laughs> it's like very like I could I could do this. I could do this. And like, you know, it's scary as a young man to have your head get chopped off. Yeah, it would. So, yeah, I mean, the whole. So, yeah. So you're doing a very good job. This is what the movie's about. And I do love, you, you know, you're saying it's a game in the movie. They call it like the beheading game and yeah. textually in the movie. And I think in the poem, they say like, oh, I'm he the Green Knight comes in. And he's like, I'm here to play a Christmas game. And right away, that's like, so I just love this kind of shit that's like, they say it's so normal and you know at a period in history this was normal, but it's like not anything you've ever heard of in your life. It just, it to me, it gives me this kind of vertigo of thinking of like, you know, what if you were alive in this time? Like, this would be the world you lived in and we live in a world that's so different. I don't know. It just drives, like really trips me out. It just, it makes me feel very uneasy and scared. So, and I think... Go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean, that's why I just really like that. They're like, oh, yeah. I'm here to play a Christmas game. I think that that weirdness is also aided by just, you know, that the actual textual weirdness, which this movie gets pretty goddamn weird. And it is like more mood than plot, which is cool. Uh, yeah. And these artistic choices in general, they add a lot of uh, integrity to the plot by simply being just really, really well done filmmaking, a lot of tons of gorgeous shot. Absolutely. Oh my God. The movie is so beautiful to look at Caleb, right? I mean, we have to just say uh, like, it's beautiful to look at. It's filmed in these beautiful locations. Like the costumes are this perfect way. They do medieval stuff now where it's like kind of nice, but kind of also like really scary Mm -hmm. and dirty looking and like, but they don't go too overboard and make it look too dirty. It just looks real, you know, Yeah, necessary of budgets like, Oh, uh, like, we were making like something anachronistic. So like we didn't want to be like too precious with their costumes. And, uh, but yeah, uh, looks great. There's a uh, lighting is absolutely insane. Like we said, there's the color in the title. So they do indulge in a lot of the color in general in this movie. It's amazing. Yeah. He has like a big uh, yellow kind of, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like a cape or something that he's oh, yeah, wearing. It's like a nice shawl or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah, beautiful. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, what effects of uh, what effects does, uh, oh, really? Jackson's company, uh, who, who yeah, cool. it's cool that he's doing this. Wita. Uh, but That's how everybody Wita, in New Zealand Wita. says Sorry, it. Yeah. New Zealand. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> But the Green Knight himself uh, is an actor in makeup. They ate it with some effects, but like texturally, like which is amazing costume. They show it so close up. It's such a. It's a. It's all. It looks like a tree, basically. Is what the thing. It looks like a tree. An insanely good costume. Uh, If there's any hope for the Oscars, that would be that that itself because it's so good. And it's uh, the great Ralph Ineson is the actor in. 
this makeup. Hey, he's been uh, in reference. other ones of um, this director's movies, right? Uh, no, <laughs> he's a oh. uh, he's a uh, Finchie from he... uh, the British Office. I read that he had been. He's in uh, other A twenty four stuff. He's uh, in. Um, he was the dad in The Witch. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. The Witch. Possibly, he's a good actor. Uh, he's a great character actor. I love love me some Ralph Ineson. Finchie is so funny. I mean, it's not that funny. Um, he's he's so fantastic in this movie as the um, as the tree. Like as the Green Knight That's is very movie, frightening. Yeah. He seems to be a living tree, and when he picks up his own head and walks away, it doesn't seem that unusual because <laughs> he seems more like he's a not really a real person. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem that scary or that surprising. But it is. So then the movie goes into this thing after this scene where it's um. so this has made Sir Gawain very famous and he's like, our children know him and they do little plays about him and, and stuff. But then it's like, you know, he knows he has to go to get his head chopped off by this knight. And he's King Arthur is talking to him. And, and a choice they make in this movie that I really like that I feel like is, again, a new thing people are doing all the time is um King Arthur is like Swedish, basically. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and, it's played by Sean Harris. Yeah, yeah. So this is like this new kind of reckoning with this fact that like so much of the Middle Ages was actually like these people were like Nordic people that lived in England. They were a huge part of English history. So I absolutely love that choice to make him into like a Swedish person. I, I, I liked it, Sean Harris' choice too, because Sean Harris is known for playing more uh, villainous person. He's actually kind of kind in this, but I initially thought I was like, he was in Mission Impossible as a villain. Oh, right. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was actually thinking like, oh, and also the Guinevere was uh, the great character actor, Kate Dickey, who uh, you recognize from Game of Thrones and also the witch. She was also in the witch. She was but, the one who got that crow stuck in her tit. Yeah, uh, so they both look, King Arthur and Guinevere both look very old and sickly. Yeah. Which is like a really cool, interesting like, a choice. Depiction, yeah. yeah. But they act kind, but it's, and they're, it's just this, this through the sake of casting and acting, that just comp- small characters made more complex through this nice shortcut they did. And it's really <laughs> interesting, like um, the the way they did. So that so having the two of them look like old sick people, and then something about the way they portray the Round Table and Camelot and stuff, they just make it all look like real dingy and like just you know, it's just like a five dudes with swords hanging out in like a regular size dining room. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they just seem kind of desperate and like half starving to death. So it's like, it, it's interesting. It's a very interesting counterpoint to like, you know, how you usually see that kind of thing done. Oh yeah. Uh, not as big and epic, but still in a castle and yeah, dingy and more probably realistic and more about the help center to the actual Gowan on his journey. And I think what's interesting is that like the movie for the first maybe half hour, 45 minutes, it's um, so it's stepping down. Like every time you think like, Oh, I guess like, things couldn't be much worse than this. Then they like, even just the fact that so you're in King Arthur's Camelot and it kind of looks like shit. And then you go outside into the rest of the city and it's like, Oh, these people like literally live in mud piles. And then you go to the outside of the walls of the city and there's just like dead bodies everywhere and like desperately starving people running around. Cool touch to show that like King Arthur was also like, uh, killed a bunch of people in one wars. That's why he's, that's how he's remembered as a great King. But like that left a, ravaged people and like uh yeah uh i think there's like that then we get to meet a cool scavenger character played by uh one of my favorite young oh actors God. barry keegan he's so uh, good in this movie him. and he's so good in yeah. everything he's so yeah, disturbing amazing amazing actor i follow him on instagram he's still doing cool stuff he's the kid from the uh, killing of a sacred <laughs> deer killing of a sacred yeah. deer you recognize him from dunkirk as well uh absolutely stunner uh creepy kid and 
very much plays that in here. Yeah, he's very, very creepy. And he's doing, he's, yeah. the, you know, the kind of a classic thing where you're like kind of an Eddie Haskell thing where you're being nice, but it's obviously you're very menacing underneath <laughs> it, you know? Uh, and I would say it's like the first of, it's like a very episodic things that happened to him. That was like a first thing. And then like he st- ends up like showing a bunch of uh, Gowan being defeated. Like that's I, right. the purpose. Like, oh, that, that sets the tone for the movie. In well, a way so of being yeah. Like, oh, this is a movie's not exactly what I'm expecting. Well, so all. yeah, like you're saying, he gets defeated a lot. And he even has, has to go through a whole thing in the earlier part of the movie where he's like, he's talking to King Arthur and he's saying like, so what you think the green knight's just fucking sitting around waiting for me? Like, yeah. I, yeah, who cares? I'm not going to go do it. And King Arthur's like, but you have to, <laughs> you know? So he like gets talked into going on this quest. And then he spends almost the entire rest of the movie risking his life and almost dying in order to go somewhere to get his head cut off. Yeah. You know, like, which is, it's a meta, you know, uh, it's kind of a metaphor for mortality. That's kind of what this movie is. It's like the green knight is like death. And we know that we are going to get there and, we have all these kinds of adventures, but at the end of the day, like the, there is death waiting for us. You know, uh, I did just read an a interview with David Lowry uh, about. Uh, uh, I should I should mention uh, his uh, mother in this movie. Uh, that's another thing they changed from the oh, poem. Yeah. Uh, it's the aunt. Uh, it's Morgana who is you know the sorceress. Uh, she's the aunt in the actual poem, but she it's the mother in this movie. And Lowry talked about uh, uh, she's more antagonistic in the. Uh, Poem. Poem, but here, uh, like we see her like conjuring the Green Knight too. To so it's uh, and he said like I wanted to have that more because she's a very loving mother <laughs> depicted like helping her son grow up a bit and like having him like kicking him out of the house for like a good reason like oh yeah gr- grow up. Uh, well, yeah, because yeah, that is a thing, right? Yeah. That they yeah. are treating the Green the um, Sir Gawain ca- character like like yeah like he's like a failure to launch situation like he's not quite a knight yet he hasn't really done anything and you know so this is like the story of him you know having to actually do something yeah uh which is cool and uh i'm gonna look up the name of the actress who plays right because she's a good actress sarita shudari uh she was uh in i don't know she's in lady in the water (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i'm trying to think what else i know her from but yeah uh always appreciate her i think she was in that show about Homeland I watched called Homeland. I think, yeah, she was in Homeland. I think she was in, yeah, yeah she was, um, what's Saul's Mandy Patinkin's wife. wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, good actor. Uh, She's also, great. Like, She's cool, great. In the movie. Yeah. Cool colorblind casting. Cause it doesn't really like, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? It is colorblind casting. I mean, that is, it's funny because I feel like at some point that was a part of the story, the story of this movie, but very quick, like once people actually <laughs> saw the movie, it's like, who even gives a shit? Like it doesn't yeah, have yeah. anything to do with it. Dev Patel is so good. Like, uh, yeah, in, in the interview uh, I read with Lowry, he was like, uh, yeah, I, I, my only concern was people like make reading more into wh- what it was. But yeah, let's talk about Dev Patel for a second. But with Dev, uh, I just like he's such a good actor and you care for him automatically. Uh, I think that's yeah. his whole role in cinema is like just plucky underdog. He is uh, you fighting just, against the current. It's, yeah. He's so good at it. You just can't help but identify with him right away. And, you know, Dev Patel, like I, to my mind, for my money, he has made some real stinker movies and he's got, yeah, I don't for like a long time, he had this kind of like, like teen comedy kind of energy, like the things that he was in. And I, I am allergic to that Skins. partially <laughs> because I used to be an actor like that when I was a teen and I like really don't like that stuff. Um, but like, He's so good in this movie. I mean, what can you say? He's fantastic in this movie. Yeah, uh, uh, I liked him in Lion, but Lion's an okay movie in general. Uh, but I think I, uh, I I recently watched uh, the Personal History of David Copperfield, another uh, revisionist right. of uh, 
a very popular uh, piece of literature that starred Dev Patel. And I was like, oh, this guy's awesome. Uh, And I really liked him in that. Uh, And that movie was only like 2019. And then now The Green Knight hit me. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, like I said in my intro, he's an actor who's very much growing on me. I hope he gets to keep that trajectory up and make me forget about Slumdog Millionaire, which probably isn't as bad as I remember. Yeah, he's in... Uh, isn't he in the best exotic marigold hotel in the sequel? And the second best of yeah. exotic marigold hotel. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of shit I'm talking about where he's like the like, and that's, you know, the movie stars white people and he's like one of the only people of color yeah, in the, yeah. in the cast. And he's doing this kind of silly teenager jokey thing. Yeah. Not great. It's not that. great. Uh, but this movie, he's, I mean, he's on the screen the entire time. He's carries it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I very much was a fan of him acting in this. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, unless you were going to say something, Caleb, was I interrupting? No, no, no. no I was just going to transition. So you can Yeah, I was going to transition. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I kind of was talking about this before, but as the film goes on, it becomes about the choices that we make and whether or not we're doing the correct moral thing in every situation and what is the correct moral thing to do and what what is absolutely crazy. And um, I, can I be like, okay, I'm, wait. So spoiler alert now for the film and for the poem that's 800 years old in case you haven't read it so um you're not an english major yeah, because you're not an english major and you didn't go to like a really fancy high school or something <laughs> um so in the poem this is where the film really diverges okay so they he stays in this he's going on these various adventures it's a medieval story it's just like a bunch of episodes basically think of it that way there's a it's circle wayne is a tv show and there's a bunch of episodes so there's one where he goes and stays with this family at this big manor house in the woods and it's very close to the green chapel where he's trying to get to but he doesn't know how to get there okay and so the husband says to him well uh i am i'm gonna go hunting and i'll give you you know, half of what I get, if you give me half of what you get here. And he's like, what are you talking about? What would I get here? And he's like, well, we'll see. So in the poem, it's like this series of weird things where the wife kisses him once, kisses him twice, kisses him three times, and then like tries to sort of get him into bed, but he doesn't go to bed with her. And every t- every night the husband comes back and Sir Gawain is kissing him once, twice, three times, whatever. And, um, and then eventually he leaves. Uh, or he gets this sash from her and she says, don't tell him about the sash because it'll, it'll keep you safe, but don't tell him. And, and he doesn't tell about the sash in the, in the poem also. So, but in this movie, it's, it seems as if he does have sex with the oh, woman. Yeah. He definitely does have sex with her. And, but then it's like kind of maybe she wasn't there in the first place and the old woman is there. And in the poem, it is revealed that all of these things were like, they're tricks by this old woman that lived there. Um, kind of like magic that she was doing to him. The old blind, yeah. Right. There's a, we're introduced to an old blindfolded <laughs> it's just, woman that's just in the background. It's an old, an old woman. wife's house, yeah. An old woman blindfolded who's just sitting at all the meals there looking scary as fuck, you know? Like, yeah, so, yeah, but in the, right, so in the movie he does have sex with her. And then there starts to be this thing where he's like not making correct choices. And he goes to the Green Knight and he like chickens out and runs away and doesn't look at his head doesn't let the knight hit him. And then it's like, he's the king and he's being mean to everyone. And then it's like, he lives his whole entire life. Basically we see in these kinds of montages and um, it's not even montages. There is dialogue. Like it seems as if this is the movie it's continuing right up until the moment of his death, where then we snap back to him at the green Knight's chapel. It was all a vision. It was all a vision, right? Exactly. It was all a vision of his, uh, if he makes unchivalristic choices, he will lead this country to famine and, 
uh, his ch- child will die in war. Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's yeah, very weird. And so, uh, but in, wait, yeah, can and, I just say in the poem, he's not, he doesn't, the green knight doesn't cut his head off in the poem. The green knight lowers the ax, but just kind of touches him with it. And then it turns out to be the husband from the manor house who is oh. like disguised himself as the green knight. And he's like, good on you for showing virtue and like lets the green knight and lets Sir Gawain go. And he goes back and is very famous. They don't show it in the movie, but it it is strongly implied. He's about to get his head cut off. Yeah. It's a cool ending. Yeah. I'm curious what you, I mean, is that how you read it also? Uh, yeah. Like, uh, well, we should bring up the, uh, he gets a first from his mother and then, uh, this, uh, enchanted his mother, the Morgana, the sorceress, it gives him an enchanted, uh, green rag that says you will not, no harm of you will come if you wear it. Uh, that gets stolen from him, and then it pops up when he's at this house uh, that uh, uh, the the girl that was trying to have sex with him has it, and she gives it to him. He comes all over it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but then, like he uh, as he's leaving, he, he he's so sh- super shamed that he did this and just runs out. And then Joel Edgerton is the lustful hunter, stops him and get, kisses him too. He kind of I feel like he kind of knew what was going on. Yeah. So anyway, he has this. Uh, I feel like he was like. He was supposed to like the, like what Chris said. Uh, if you you, I'll give you what I found from the hunt. If you give me that, and he gives him the thing that he found the hunt, which is a talking fox that's been following him because this movie is weird. Oh yeah, um, that's weird. And then there's a cartoon fox in the movie, like for a while. Yeah, but he doesn't give him the thing that he got, which is the, the immortal green rag thing, yeah. uh, which is I thought was interesting. But yeah, then that happens to plays very much in the ending. Where even at his during his vision, he's wearing this green rag the whole time of him being king and everything. And he takes it off, and his head falls off at the very. He takes it end. off. Yeah, he takes it off, oh, and just, it's like his intestines. He's pulling it out, and it's like all yes. gloopy, and it's like. It's weird because this movie's cool. Uh, it's cool because this movie's weird. Yeah, uh, both. Uh, but then, like, yeah, it's all vision. He comes up, and then he stops the green knight from uh, hitting him the axe the final time. Takes off the green thing and says, "I'm ready now." And the green knight's like, "Yeah, I'm proud of you." I'm going to cut off your head. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. The movie's over. And that's how the movie ends. It's fucking weird and so awesome. I really like how weird that was. Yeah, then this movie's weirder and I thought uh, it was more fun, but it didn't have to because, I don't know, I mean, we're pacing over, probably for the best of a lot of the weird stuff. Let the audience be surprised at some weird shit that happens in this movie. Like I said, there were, we said there's a talking fox. We didn't even mention that there's uh, giants giants yeah <laughs> just uh, but whole, it's it's like it is you're saying it's very episodic like the giants like it's easy to forget them because they're not really connected to anything it just no. kind of like emotionally metaphorically makes sense at that moment in the film do you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah there's a great haunted house saint winifred's haunted house this is a cool uh very beautiful shot tons of great shots in oh, yeah i totally oh, forgot about that that he goes to a haunted house yeah, it's very, very cool. Uh, there's some amazing stuff. Yeah, that one's like a mission. Yeah, it's it's like a mission in a video game. I mean, for me specifically, I'm thinking of Witcher 3. This is like exactly the kind of thing that would have been in Witcher 3. A ghost asks you to find its part of its skeleton and put it back together. Like that's, yeah, I've done that in video games a hundred times for sure. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, yeah, in, in uh, part of Legend of the Hidden Temple too. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'll say a quick thing about David Lowry, which is go see his movies. Uh, he... Uh, informs a lot of his bigger indulgences with these really earned emotional beats. And uh, something you can tell is like very personal to him. Like I'm a uh, big fan of Peach Dragon, which is the best Disney remake movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, he got so he got a budget to do that movie after making Ain't Them Body Saints, which is another very cool, uh, almost like film history, Terrence Malick meets uh, Bonnie and Clyde type amazing movie. Anyway, he got money to make Peach Dragon and 
training wheels for CGI because it's a big ass dragon in that movie. Yeah. And I can really see like, oh wow, he really stepped up. He's always stepping up his movies. Oh, it's like a really well made film. Yeah. I mean, like you're saying, it's very effects heavy and it's got all these costumes mm-hmm. and animals and like children and like it's a lot of shit to manage. But yeah, it's a lot of that emotional thing of like becoming a man. And like that's all he informs his films is he's seeking to deepen these emotions by like illuminating them with like these really bold fo- filmmaking choices. And also shout out to his, he's a started as an editor, <laughs> great editor. He worked on upstream, he edited upstream color. Listen up, Philip, two great movies that I love. Is that true? He edited upstream yeah. color. And That's so listen funny. Up Philip. You like, you like listen up Philip. <laughs> oh yeah, I know I do. I like listen up Philip a lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just feel like, I always feel like I have a personal connection to upstream color. I know. It's, yeah. Uh, he also edited this movie and uh, a couple of his other movies, but yeah, cool. David Lowry, go see his movies. He's, I, I just read he's making a Peter Pan movie. So, whoa, hey, what's up, man? That's crazy. Um, is that going to be like a Disney movie or is it going to be like it this? Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jude Law, Hot Captain Hook. Oh, wow, cool. That's cool. I mean, it's cool that he made this little movie in between making all these m- movies he makes a lot of money yeah. to make. You know? For this weird little movie. It's, it's a great. pretty weird goddamn movie, yeah. I heard some people were looking at this movie for some reason as a... I, now I'm forgetting the details, so it's not going to be a good story, but they were saying this period of... Uh, cinema that it was kind of an interesting test movie i guess they were saying because it's a it kind of became a major indie it's getting kind of a lot of distribution and it's 24 yeah yeah and it's obviously it's based on a poem that's 800 years old but in in another sense it's like an original film quote unquote you know it is Um, ip in a certain sense but it's also not ip so it was kind of like you know hopefully it does well and encourages more movies like this to get made and distributed uh, it's uh, IP in the sense of David Lowry is his own little franchise. Uh, a lot of his other movies are A24 is why I say that, uh, <laughs> which is cool. And uh, I, that's why uh, part of the reason why I really enjoy A24 and we all do is they champion good filmmakers. They uh, let them uh, grow. And, let, and now that's they're reaping the benefits because this did have a big push. And it's kind of cool that it will uh, be seen by a lot of people. Shout out to A24 and uh, the great Dev Patel here. <laughs> Caleb, I I was thinking while you were talking, while of course I was listening also, and but I had an amazing idea, and uh, here is the idea that I had, uh, and this is a million dollar idea. It's a several million dollar idea, okay? Um, so I, I'm talking about whether or not this movie is IP, because in in a certain sense it's not, but in another sense it's based on one of the oldest stories in existence, right? So of course that's IP. Everybody knows who King Arthur is. Like, yes, it's a it's a it's IP, but it's free. And, it, you know, and you can do whatever you want. Caleb, what's the ultimate IP, ultimate name recognition? And by the way, it's free and you don't have to pay anybody for the rights. Santa? The Bible, Caleb. Oh, sure. <laughs> so we're going to make a movie for each of the books of the Bible. <laughs> all right. And they're going to be interconnected, obviously, with Jesus. And Jesus can be played by different actors in different books. And... Um, I think we're going to make $10 trillion and it's, it's all going to go straight into our pockets because, and we, they don't even have to be religious necessarily. They'll just be like in, in spooky adventure movies. Uh, I mean that Noah story bangs a lot. I mean, there was a Darren Aronofsky in the Noah movie, but yeah, there's a lot of good, good stories in the Bible. I mean, just think of, uh, it's just think idol. of the drama that will be Job, you know, like Dude, fantastic. We're following, uh, the Python, uh, they did, uh, 
night movie then they did a bible movie then we'll just make a movie about inherently life which is their third movie the next step yeah but i think this is a bang-up idea i can't believe nobody's doing this um i gotta get a hold of my friends in the film industry um do you want to move on to talk about the next movie uh i will just say uh just because i thought this was funny uh there's two other green knight films made in one in the 70s one in the 80s both from the same director and they're not like sequels or anything it just the same director wanted to make a green knight film that bad so he did it twice that's really funny uh, the latter which has a song sean connery and they both are very poorly regarded and uh, I, I i read a lot about the sean connery one and it, yeah it seems super conventional and like uh the ending is boring as hell so yeah those movies now even more lost in history <laughs> this new exciting green um, art house green Knight. that's really funny and that rules um but so yeah i mean like you're saying this movie is definitely unconventional it's definitely very subtly modernizing things in lots of interesting ways everything from making like like i was saying making camelot look like a shithole to like questioning what is the correct correct moral thing to do in any situation and lots of lots of other things you know just kind of the sense of like brutality and death that's over every moment of this movie i think is kind of a than a modern edition, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the next movie we're going to talk about is a very different kind of uh, Arthurian adaptation. It is Excalibur from 1981. A world of wizards, kings, warriors, queens, swords, sorcery, and desire. Forged of splendor and magic. Where future meets past, flesh meets steel, and the only fear is the pain of love. Excalibur, sword of power, sword of kings. Excalibur, okay, so just like spoiler alert like i wasn't a huge fan of this movie i was glad that to hear you say you really liked it caleb i didn't really like it that much although it is fascinating in lots of ways um so that said my intro is kind of mean uh excalibur is an extremely insane and very thorough retelling of virtually every arthurian legend starring almost every living british actor in 1981 there's helen mirren gabriel byrne liam neeson and patrick stewart although i will mention none of them have super huge parts helen mirren i guess has the biggest part out of all those people Um, the star really is an actor named Nicole Williamson, who gives a truly unhinged performance as Merlin, who's doing this kind of shouting uh, weird jokes the entire movie. Uh, directed by John Borman, who, of course, directed both Deliverance and Zardoz. It's a heavy, dirty, visually stunning mess. Uh, in his review at the time, Roger Ebert called this movie both, quote, a wonderful vision and, quote, rough going for anyone determined to be sure what is happening from scene to scene. Uh, Caleb, what did you think of this movie? It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's quaint now, uh, but, yeah, at its time, it was a huge success. It made a bunch of money. It made a bunch but, of yeah, money. It yeah, it did. It was very uh, It was like a staple of early HBO I was reading, too. Uh, yeah, but it bites off a lot. It, yeah, it moves too fast and too slow simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, I was like thinking like, how can you really go over the top when you're operating on such a big grand scale too? So he just tries to put all this big things in it, tons of fight scenes, which I appreciate how violent this movie was. Uh, we're talking about Excalibur, the sword, that most famous sword in the world. It's covered in blood most of the time. That's pretty cool. Uh, there's boobs for no reason. Yes, there is lots of boobs in this <laughs> it's movie. Yeah, kind of. T- it's pretty tasteful. Uh, and they use o- or for the song "O Fortuna" a lot. The, this, 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 this. They use it too much, uh, but it, you know, action's there. Uh, 
very action heavy, but between that action uh, is a little bit too self serious of a movie. Oh my like God, it owes yes. something greater to the actual text of the Arthurian legend. And sometimes it's like really dumb. Like when he's like telling him to like, like they do so much this movie. Like they, of course they go talk about the Holy Grail. He's like, I think we should get the Grail. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then they go and get the Grail. And then they just, so much of the people leave it. Well, so this is what uh, you're saying. Like, no, I would just like to agree with you here. Like I agree. Yeah. This is one of the major problems with this movie is that it tries to fit in every single Arthurian legend. Like we see, you know, the sword and the yeah, stone stuff. We see stuff with mm -hmm. Arthur's dad before he's even born. Yep. We see like him becoming yep. King. We see the Lancelot thing. We see the quest for the Holy Grail. We see Mordred mm -hmm. and Morgana fighting Merlin and, Arthur, it's like one of the things that's great about the Green Knight is it's just the story of the Green Knight. Yes, that's yeah. that's it, you know. Whereas this is like six of those, and it's two and a half hours, by the way. And <laughs> yeah, uh, it's. I got like after like about ten minutes, I was like, I'm getting fucking stoned for this. I felt exactly uh, the same way, Caleb. I was I, like, there is no I, way I'm watching this, <laughs> like not being high. I ended up like, I mean, it's I would, it's yeah, it is what it is, which is you know a. a budgeted movie of big budget movie from 1981 and like the effects of it were for the audience at the time it was probably like whoa and like i don't know like it is just like bad smoke and then you can't tell who's who and fight oh scenes my god it's you so can't tell bad. who's who like you can't tell why anybody does anything you i found myself unable to understand a huge amount of the dialogue because the people are shouting and they're doing these weird accents i mean some of them are their real accents and some of them are doing this kind of like you know, Shakespeare times voice, you know? And I, yeah. I just found it hard to understand what people were saying a lot of the time. Uh, I think why I ended up like not fully hating it, which, you know, I've never, I probably will pick the other movie, but Hey, um, Hey, uh, I just, I don't know. It did a good job of move. Like I said, it simultaneously fast. And so like, it did a good job of just like pow powering through that and like getting all the information out while still having like fun enough with fights. It was like, oh, this is all you want from like this movie really just a lot of fight scenes. It, it basically has a lot of fight scenes. It has weird magic stuff. There's like snakes, yeah, like you're saying, there's sex yeah. scenes and there's nudity. I mean, if you look at it as a, one of these like sword and sorcery films, which were very popular in this period of history, you know, Conan the Barbarian, Beastmaster, oh, yeah. you know, Red Sonia, blah, blah, blah. It, it's one of those, but it's basically like the best version of that movie you could possibly make. Yeah, it's like the uh, one for the whole family, which it's not really for the whole family because right. of the aforementioned nudity and yeah. violence. But yeah, it is very like, like when we were when we were discussing movies to pick for that, when we, we I kept seeing this one stick out, uh, having you know some decent reviews. Yeah, me too. It was like, I was like, this is the safest bet to do. <laughs> and I just remembered like from watching it when I was a kid when it was on HBO all the time. Uh, I was like, oh, Patrick Stewart's in this. Like, yeah, okay, let's do it because Patrick Stewart is in it. I forgot he is like barely in the hardly. movie at all <laughs> like yeah. you know he's hardly in it yeah yeah, uh, yeah let's talk about the cast which you mentioned well, i guess we'll start with nicole williamson who uh is a stage actor who uh popularized uncle vanya playing uh, merlin he's wearing this kind of day. metal skull cap the entire yeah. movie he looks like destro basically like but just <laughs> on the top of his head yeah <laughs> yeah he's a lot of fun in it i'd say both magic people yeah, so he's making quips and he's like, you know, he's mysterious and he's being kind of silly, but also he seems like to have an agenda that's like a far above everyone else's agenda, you know? Yeah, and there's also just a lot of absence and he's a supporting role in the movie. So uh, like a movie like this with all these like 
again, biting off so much, it does fall a lot to the uh, cast to like make it palpable and believable. And I would say like like Merlin does a great job of stuff because he gets to work with the other uh, Morgana Le Fay is his big scene partner, which is the great yeah. legend, the legend Helen Helen, Helen Mirren. Mirren. They're great and I did together. Read that, uh, but Borman this doesn't start until two. like an hour and a half into the movie, yeah. you know? I did read that uh, Borman cast those two specifically because they had a history of not getting along. So he wanted that tension, which is like, oh, that's a cool shortcut. That's pretty funny, yeah, actually. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, like we're saying, this is kind of like a, like she's having a ton of fun here. Uh, and she has like a, a career of like bringing clout to like these types of like big budget movies. Like she's in the Fast and the Furious. This is yeah. Fast and Furious Eye right now. Like she's, that's all she does is be great. Well, movies. it's actually really funny to think about it because Helen Mirren being in the Fast and the Furious, it, when that happened, if you were a person of, of our general age, you're like, oh, wow, that really respectable actress Helen Mirren is in this movie. And then it's funny to rewind the clock to 1981 and be like, oh, no, she's just been in these kinds of movies her entire career. <laughs> like she is a good actress and she is a good stage actress and she has been in lots of good things. But it wasn't like some like insane departure for her <laughs> to be in Fast and the Furious. Like yeah, she just does stuff like that. She also introduces documentary now every episode, which is still the light speed to this day. It's great. No joke. She just says it, says it. No, there's nothing funny. She's very straight in it. It's great. It's Love great. It. She's great in documentary now, and it's like she has the perfect voice for doing it, right? She does. Uh, who else is in this movie? Yeah. Uh, no, Gabriel but, Byrne and Liam Neeson are Gabriel in it. Is it. The dad in it. Gabriel from the yeah. beginning. Gabriel Byrne playing Gabriel Uther Pendragon, which I found myself yeah. so. Like, I mean, it is the movie is very confusing. It is hard to know what is happening and why almost every yeah, single he, second of the movie. Yeah. I, he tricks his, he tricks the eventual mother uh, by like taking a spell casting. It looks like somebody else, but he has sex and fire. That's kind of cool. Sex and fire, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. A part, of, I found myself just because I was just thinking, like, who is this? What is going on? And eventually I figured out he was Uther Pendragon. And this part of the movie goes on for maybe like 15 minutes. I found myself just whispering, like, Uther Pendragon to myself yeah. over and over just to make it, it feel like something was happening. I understood. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, this was going somewhere and I had some grasp on what was happening. It's just, it was like my yeah, mantra. Showing up at the beginning, too, and then also just was like, I'm going to steal your child now, which is like, okay. <laughs> I thought Merlin was cool. Like, I was familiar with uh, Sword in the Stone. I thought he was a wizard who was, like, having fun. I know. And, like, singing songs. Yeah, he seems awful. Was... Seems awful. Yeah. You know, he steals this baby, and everybody's really sad and mad about it. Yeah. Uh, you. And by the way, he does this magic to allow this sexual assault to happen, which is like, that's also not cool at all. Not cool. Uh, you did mention Liam Neeson's in this movie. He's Gowan, so there's the connection. Yes. <laughs> but, 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 yes. but yeah, he has a uh, not too much in it. He has a fun, fun cool fight with Lancelot. Uh, but yeah, he has a man bun at one point. I thought that. Was yeah, he looks like, cool. I mean, uh, yeah. it is funny because, like, we'll say someone like Gabriel Byrne looks almost completely different now than he did then because this oh, is sure. 40 years ago right exactly 40 years ago um liam neeson looks exactly the fucking same <laughs> he looks exactly the same it's very unnerving you know <laughs> uh like i said a lot of that like you need good actors to pave over this uh and part of maybe why we're kind of digging on it is uh a big character is of course sir lancelot who I don't know. This actor was just attractive at the time. We could do see his butt. I thought he uh, was better than. I thought the guy that plays King Arthur is terrible. I really didn't like Nigel him. Terry. Uh, yeah, uh, I thought he was bad. It, it, I mean, did you? He did, did you have like a his... lot to do. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, it was a weird enough performance that I didn't mind it. But yeah, towards the end, uh, like when he was playing an old, old, the old version of King Arthur, yeah. like when he was like, uh, like uh, unsung kind of, uh, hero of the Arthurian legend, Percival, and Percival was giving him the cup to drink out of. Like he's just like, yeah. <laughs> like, <this> is... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like what's happening. 
<laughs> but yeah, Nigel Terry is also, uh, he's a stage actor. Uh, I don't really know. I don't, I, I didn't recognize him. Maybe that's why he's not in things is because he's not that great of an actor, but yeah, a bunch of weird decisions. Maybe there's a role that was perfect for him that, uh, one day I'll stumble upon and be like, Oh, this is fine. <laughs> oh, one thing <laughs> about this that's is what he's useful for. I just was looking at Nigel Terry's, uh, uh IMDB page. Oh, yeah. And of course I to see if he had done other things, but it's all pictures from, uh, Excalibur, of course. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, Huge role. It was like, again, this was a successful movie but at its time. It was very successful. You're right. But it reminded me because one of these pictures has something in this movie that I thought was like totally, totally fucking crazy, which is there's a, in a couple different scenes, you know, Merlin has this like big sorcerer's cane that he uses. Um, but in a couple of scenes, there's like fire coming out the top of it. And it's obviously like a, like a butane jet or something like that. And there's fire, but it seems to be extremely hot and dangerous. Like in real life, there's like this scene where he's there out outside and he's got this thing and it the the point where the fire is is so blown out because it's so much brighter than anything else and you're just you're and i'm just fucking picturing the actor holding that cane and i'm like the thing must have been red hot and it was right next to his face it seems actually really scary (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's like the times uh like that was the effects they do danger they were still very dangerous it looked dangerous as hell dude (laughs) Uh, and it looks, I mean, in the movie, it was, like, kind of cool looking. There's, like, a couple, like, cool imageries in this movie. Uh, 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 there's, like, this weird cave that Merlin takes Morgana to. I was like, oh, this set's pretty cool. And then there was uh, a shot where, like, uh, when, when Morgana's winning, she, like, uh, turns all the knights. And the ones that she doesn't turn, she just hangs from the tree. Oh, so God, that's kind of no. cool. There uh, is there's like a lot of like really weird like when this movie's weird it's re- pretty good. Yeah, one of the uh, things I like from the weird part of the movie is it's got this running uh metaphor where it's almost like the force but instead of the force the metaphor Merlin uses is the dragon and it's like everything oh, yeah. is part of the dragon. I- I did keep waiting to see a dragon come up. I was like, I hope that dragon it was purely that. metaphorical. It was yeah. purely a metaphorical dragon. Yeah, the dragon's breath is like a cloud at the end. And this is actually interesting. I mean, not to talk about Roger Ebert too much, but I read this review, right? And um, one of the things I've heard a lot about Roger Ebert is like he didn't really necessarily watch the movies all that closely or like really even stay the whole time or stay awake the whole time. Um, so in the review, there are some errors. Like he talks about Morgana and Merlin going to like, quote unquote, the, a, a dragon's cave. And I was like, oh, the, the dragon was a metaphor, Roger. Like, come on. Like she's she's saying to Merlin, like, I want to see the dragon. But what she means is like, show me your power. You know, and she's saying like, I want to see the dragon, you know. And but Roger Ebert's like, oh, yeah, I guess the dragon lives there, like eating a fucking hamburger or something like not at all paying attention. <laughs> Uh, and while the fight scenes are all not necessarily like good in a uh, like paying attention to the plot way, like they are like big and like kind of like what the hell is like I kind of appreciate just like for the sake of the magnitude of what they're trying to pull off. It's just like a bunch of like clanging and loud noises and like yeah, it's just weird and like there's a ton of people doing it. So I was like, that's I'm glad. I was like I'm glad I'm stoned watching. <laughs> there are some yeah, the night stuff is like pretty cool. The way they do the armor is pretty yeah, cool. Like, yeah, there's some cool fights. Uh, not some cool. Uh, like the one-on-one stuff is cooler than the Yeah, than the big battle. The big fights. battle scenes kind of just look chaotic, but the one-on-one like sword fights are pretty good. There's actually this really interesting thing in this movie where I was like, is this true? There's the first joust you see in the movie is in Patrick Stewart wins. And but the joust is like there's just a big scrum of them on horseback with these little tiny jousts and they're just hitting each other in the head with them, like riding around in circles and like punching each other. And they keep calling it a joust. And I was like, is this what a fucking joust was? But then they do regular jousting like you think of it later on in the movie. 
And I was yeah. like, I don't know. I was like, that's cool. I didn't know about these fucking crazy ass jousts. <laughs> uh, another, I guess, a weird thing to say uh, is uh, so Morgana tricks Arthur, their sister, brother and sister, tricks him and they have sex. So there's a, a incest child in it. And that incest child grows up to have this really wild, gold, impenetrable <laughs> uh, suit of armor. And yeah. it has uh, curly hair, which is, I'm, Explain that accurately, but it's so hard to picture as if you haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, but it's a weird kid. And it, again, yeah, sure. You're a product of incest. We're going to cast you. That's good for good for that actor. Yeah, sure. Whatever. You look like a crazy ass incest kid. Um, uh, but yeah, also like reading about this movie, uh, which it did have one Oscar nomination for cinematography, which, yeah, I guess so much yeah. time that's it looked cool. I mean, there's a lot to do and it was, you know shooting outdoors and it's very hard blah 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 blah, blah. yeah uh, but maybe even more important than his oscar nomination is it's one of Zack snyder's favorite movies is that true <laughs> yeah i read that and i started reading a little bit about what he said and i was like i'm not reading dude i can that. totally see that a hundred percent like i can see little Zack snyder watching this movie and being like yeah i want to do this. big things are cool movies are good because they spend a lot of money and waste it (laughs) (laughs) and it is like it is kind of dark and violent and sexual Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. all the people are kind of mean uh yeah i can see this being very formative to his worldview god that's fascinating Uh, and I will uh, talk about John Borman for a second, who is a good director. Oh, Deliverance, yeah. you've seen, everyone's seen Deliverance. I hope people have seen Hope and Glory too, which I think is a, a, just as great of a movie. Uh, that's a movie he based off his own life about growing up during World War II. Great movie. Uh, but yeah, he has, like you mentioned, Zardos, which is kind of underrated. Uh, it's fine. I think it's uh, like correctly they, rated now. Like people yeah, yeah, yeah. generally think of it as like a crazy the movie. The corrected, yeah, it's there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he did a Lee Marvin movie that somehow I saw from the sixties called point blank. Uh, he, but yeah, he's, I mean, deliverance alone is like, you're set for well, and then hope and glory. Again, it's known. Uh, I think hope and glory is kind of big. Have you seen hope and glory? It's, it's, it's the one from the nineties, right? Uh, I think it was like late eighties, but yeah, it might be, but it was nominated for a bunch. Of it's Oscars, funny. So. I mean, I was, didn't want to say anything. Um, but I mean, I, I remember enjoying that movie, but I also think of it as very much like a mom movie. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's like I was it's just much the, surprised much to hear you say that. Yeah. Well, it's it's a good movie. Yeah, uh, I, I like the English Patient too, and the, uh, Hope and Glory ran, uh, walked so we could have things like the English oh Patient. God, oh, you're out of your fucking mind, Caleb. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, John Borman, good director. Lot taken on, and uh, I mean, he making some fine decisions. And again, he did the thing what this movie's trying to do, which is get audiences to come out to see. Uh, Arthurian legend movie and they did come out with 11 million dollar budget he made uh, uh 35 million dollars off of it so hey you paid your studio 20 million dollars as an orion feature too which <laughs> god bless you orion in the 80s <laughs> yeah no i mean it's he's definitely a good director he's definitely an inconsistent director who's made all sorts of crazy yeah movies. i can't even think of like the last since not even since the 90s even like what he's been doing his what does since it say Glory, his last movie he's Queen and Country, something he made in 2014. Oh, he, uh, oh, this is a writing credit I'm looking at. He wrote uh, The Professor and The Madman. Oh, really? Uh, which is a Mel Gibson movie from recent times. Isn't that like from like this year or last year or something? It might have been, yeah. Uh, I just I haven't seen it, but it, I know it exists. In my well, that, country. Because we, know, we all respect Mel Gibson right now. Oh, the Taylor of Panama he directed. Oh, sure. oh my God. That's sure, so sure, funny. sure. Oh, my God. Also, John LeCare. 
Yeah, uh, starring Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah That's right, so right, funny. Right, 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 All right. Well, let's get to the end of the show, Caleb. We're just reading IMDb right now. <laughs> <laughs> Come, that's what all our... I know. At so, the end of the day, it's just the two of us reading IMDb. I hope you enjoy that. Sorry, people reading the internet. As they're <laughs> the internet <laughs> read aloud. I mean, that's a live yeah. show. We should start doing that. Um, it's kind of meta. Yeah. We so Caleb, say you had to pick one of these movies, or you would get like your head chopped off by a giant monster in the woods. Ooh, no way. No, thank you. Uh, so yeah, for all of its charms, Excalibur tried really hard. I am definitely picking the Green Knight, oh. which. Uh, uh, like I saw it earlier this week, it's still it's one of the things that keeps rattling in my brain and growing on me as I keep thinking about it. Uh, aided by again these really cool shots, cool shots. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, at the last second, I because Max Galper was kind of poor, is what we're saying. Uh, I almost shifted to uh, talking to Chris about shifting to Barry Lyndon, yeah, another uh, literary adaptation with title cards throughout. Uh, which happened in the Green Knight uh, of uh, of a young man falling through, uh, growing up and becoming something of of his life. That's also takes liberties with uh, its source material um, and set in Europe. (laughs) So I thought there was a lot of like uh, uh, Barry Lyndon-esque stuff, which is a Stanley Kubrick movie. If you're not familiar with Barry Lyndon, a great movie. You should be familiar with Barry Lyndon. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, it's funny. The reasons I didn't want to do Barry Lyndon is that it is super long and I didn't think I could stay awake during it. I did tell you at like the last minute, like uh, uh, it's Saturday right now. I told Chris on Friday at like five, like, oh, I thought about uh, doing Barry Lyndon. I was like, it's on HBO Max. And like, he reminded me that it's three and a half hours long. I was like, oh yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> like we would have both had to drop everything and started watching it yeah. right then, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll, I, I forgot to give one note uh, in The Green Knight, because uh, we loved how great it was shot. Uh, the cinematographer's name is Andrew Droz Palmero. Uh, he has a lot of horror credits actually to his um, cinematography. Uh, You're Next, which is great. Uh, Adam Weingard movie, mm-hmm. VHS, which is a, very gory movie uh but he also directed a weird enough movie uh with uh tim tim chalamet a young actor it was called one and two uh maybe worth seeking out uh but uh, yeah uh cool artist i haven't working. heard of this so is, is that like an older movie with with chalamet uh, like 2000 i don't know 15 14 okay yeah. it was him and uh when we were letting oh i'm that's mean when him and kieran shipka i was gonna say when we were letting kieran shipka star and stuff. <laughs> she still stars and stuff uh but yeah uh like the plot of that movie is uh they're two like secluded kids brother and sister they have like superpowers they can transport but they uh but uh, their dad thinks that's helping kill their mom so he like is like very conservative dad and doesn't want them to use their powers yeah it's interesting caleb i gotta agree with you the green knight by a mile i mean my god excalibur it was a fun movie to watch on hbo when i was a kid and to watch it for maybe like 20 five 30 minutes you know but to sit down and watch it as an adult it was very difficult and it, it <laughs> it's fun and it's a dumb king arthur movie and if you had, are not familiar with this it's almost like i want to say if you're not familiar with the stories maybe it's more fun but i think if you're not familiar with the stories you'd be so lost about what's happening from moment to moment in the movie if you're kind of familiar with the stories and want to see it in a movie right. it's yes yes <laughs> yes that is what i would say but the green knight what a like beautiful harrowing um you know haunting like you know, film that I really, really enjoyed and was mm-hmm. disturbed by in a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. But, it, and, and confused and, but it was also thought provoking. Like, yeah, I would recommend it a hundred yeah. times. Definitely. A unique piece of filmmaking uh, with what we should be doing with all our wonderful effects we have in the year 2021. Uh, yeah. Great, great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> hey, that's it, everybody. Thank you so much. We did it, brother. Bye to you. Good friends. Bye. Bye.
watch our tangents here. Yeah, we'll watch our tangents. It's a good idea.